0: Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 103. Today is April 21st, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, I'm gonna combine a couple topics. I'd like to talk to you about current market conditions. It's been a while since we've had a show and I haven't really talked to you about current market conditions. So we're gonna talk about that, but we're also gonna talk about the S&P 500 in light of a simple moving average. I receive a lot of questions from listeners asking about a simple moving average I'm, I don't really listen to a lot of other podcasts or shows, so I'm not sure what a, what other investing and financial blogs and, and podcasts talk about. But they must not be talking very much about moving averages because I get a lot of questions about them. A lot of people, this is the first they've heard about them, or the first they've heard about how to use them. So we will cover that in today's show as well as we talk about the S and P 500. The important thing to remember: what I try and do with every episode of the Well Studying Podcast is to talk about relevant wealth building skills that you can apply in your life. Now, this is a show for people that are, you know, somewhere in the middle class. People that aspire to be financially independent. People that aspire to be, you know, what I call blue collar or middle class millionaires. Now, some of you are already in that category and you listen in because like all people that have built your own wealth, you want to keep building it and keep, you know, building and preserving and growing that wealth. This show is obviously targeted for you as well. But most listeners haven't reached that pinnacle of success yet. And so that's what I focus on. I try and create my podcast so the content is always relevant. So whether you're listening today, April 21st, 2015, or whether you're listening to this in three years, my intent would be that you're going to get something out of it that's going to help you build your wealth. So when I talk about current market conditions today, and I'm talking about the S&P, the way it's performing today, I'm also trying to give you insights and hints and my own observation and commentary, the way I think and what I'm applying in today's situation. So you can take those same skills and develop them in yourself and apply that to current market conditions. Should you be listening to the show in the future or should you be wanting to apply those same principles and concepts to something other than the S&P 500? You know, for example, the same thing I talk about today in the S&P 500 would apply to Apple stock. Now again, I want to remind you, I'm only giving you my opinion in these podcasts. I'm never offering a recommendation or providing advice. This podcast is simply about my opinion. I've been building my wealth and trading stocks for like 30 years now. I'm not a great investor like Warren Buffett. I'm not a superior entrepreneur like Bill Gates. What I am is just an average guy like many of you. I applied myself through self-study, through trial and error by following my passions and by disciplining my approach I've been able to in general build my own wealth so that I could be financially independent and specifically been able to build my wealth primarily through trading stocks so when I come to you and I talk to you about wealth setting principles or when I tell you what I look for in a stock or this is the way I evaluate a market I'm just giving you my opinion and my cumulative wisdom that I've collected over these last thirty years I don't know if it's right for you. I can't guarantee that if you apply these same principles they'll work for you. I'm just saying they worked for me. You're listening to this podcast for free. So, hey, take it for what it's worth. I do want to mention about the regularity of the show. Lately, I've only been doing a show about once a week. That's not my intent. My intent is always to do at least uh, two shows a week. I prefer to do three. When I can find the time, I'd like to, to put in more than that. I know many of you are always looking for content. I've just been way behind this quarter. There's a lot going on with taxes and other things associated with the end of the quarter, such as estimated taxes and uh, just a lot of things going on that way with my small business. A lot of things going on in in evaluating the stock market. I've also had a pretty significant travel schedule lately. Everywhere I went, I did take my portable recording studio. And although I had the best of intents, well, it just didn't happen. So I apologize for that. I will try and get back up to my normal two or three or more podcasts a week. I still have some travel ahead of me, so uh, I can't guarantee anything. But I do want you to know we're not, we're not, we're not at a weekly show format or anything. I will try and make these as timely as possible and get as many out for you during the week. You also may want to follow me over at my firm's website, which is investablewealth.com. That's where I blog and uh, I can do some more current and up to date things there, particularly things that might relate specifically to stocks that I'm purchasing or not purchasing or or whatever. Uh, It's easier to put out a a written blog than it is to produce an audio podcast. So sometimes you'll get information a little quicker over there. Having said that, I've only been doing about one blog a month over there. Again, that's not necessarily the intent. But if you just look at the market conditions here lately, the market's been moving sideways. It's just been trading in a zone. If you've been listening to this show or following my blog, you know that for the most part I'm in cash. And you got to remember, my primary job is as a money manager. I manage money for my clients. I also manage my own money. I don't do the blog or the podcast as an income stream at all. This is a hobby for me. It's a passion. It's a way for me to communicate with those of you that can't afford my services. I really enjoy it but since i'm not doing it as an income uh, nor am i doing it you know where people have paid for it and they're expecting to get content you know so unlike the the evening news or your 24-hour cable channel where they just always have to produce content because they're looking for advertisers and and space to fill and they want to get eyeballs well this isn't an income stream for me if i don't have anything to say i don't say anything right i'm not going to waste your time producing some mediocre content just to put something out there So whenever I write a blog or whenever I do a podcast episode, it's because I believe I have something relevant to tell you. So when the market's moving sideways like this, when I'm not really involved in any active trading, then I don't have a whole lot to say. So hey, one more bit of housekeeping uh, information before we get started with the main topic for today. I want to update you on the drawing that we had for the seven books that we were giving away. First off, let me thank everybody that has given us comments and ratings over at the iTunes store. Um, I made this contest open and available for everybody, whether you've done a, a, you know, a a review in the past month or if you did one seven or eight months ago when we started the show. I just had several copies of some books laying around that, uh, I had picked up to, to normally give away to people. I was recording the podcast and I thought, Hey, you know, let's have a contest. I'll just give these away. So we did that. Um, the drawing ended on April 15th. Let me just announce the winners for you, and I'll do these by their screen names that they used over at iTunes. How to Make Money in Stocks, the winner was Another Susan. How to Be a Successful Investor, the winner of that one was Bruce from Wisconsin. The 24 Essential Lessons uh, for Investor Success, that one went to Chuck 112. Uh, Those three books were all written by Bill O'Neill, William O'Neill. He's the publisher of Investor's Business Daily. And then finally, I had four copies of Stephen Covey's, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and those went to Lawrence W.S., Lemon Reviews, Josh Shummerhays, and the last winner was HMFIC247. Congratulations to everyone. You've been notified by email. I'm waiting on your address, and I'll get those shipped out to you. From time to time, I find books on good deals and, and buy them in, you know, case lots and things like that. I'll do that again. We'll have some more drawings. Once again, though, I really do appreciate everybody that's made the effort to go over to iTunes and leave us a review. That really helps us in the ratings. Um, there's really no other way for this show to get the word out unless you do things like that. And then, of course, telling your friends and family, putting it in your social media. I really appreciate all that. So thanks so much. Now, let's talk about the stock market. In particular, let's talk about the S&P 500 and what's been going on. The S&P 500 for the year is up just slightly under 2%. If you look at a daily chart of the S&P 500 plotted out over, I don't know, say like a three-month, a six-month period, you're going to see that the market's been moving in an upward direction. Like I say, it is up almost 2% for the year, but it's been doing in a very narrow trading band, particularly over the last two and a half months, this is like a wedge shape pattern where if you drew a line from the highs that we had uh, back at the end of the year, you know, back around uh, the very end of November, if those highs, and you drew that that line through the highs that we had in February, you would see that we're below, the, we're below that trend line, having a wedge that's closing itself out. And again, if you drew a trend line through the low prices, the low price that we hit back uh, on December 16th, and then through the low that we hit at the end of January and then the low that we hit at the uh, about mid March if you extend those lows and those highs together you'll see that they kind of form they're forming a wedge pattern which is shaping up to be hitting right around the 50 day moving average and that's all occurring while for the last month and a half or so the market's been trading around a, a top price of right around 2110 something like that 2115 and a low price uh, of around 2040 So when I talk about volatility, but then I also talk about stagnation or just trading in a zone. So the market's moving up towards that high of, you know, 2110 or so, but it never really gets there. It always peters out before it does. Um, you know, so it ends up trading, uh, go, it goes up above 2100 and then it comes back down, but it never fully crashes. Remember the low that we've had in the last month and a half or so has only been 2040. So that zone or that trading range is pretty much just up and down right around 2100. Now, if you're a good day trader, which I'm not, you might be able to make money in a market like this because one day the market's up, you know, 20 or 30 basis points. The next day it's down 20 or 30 basis points. I'm not a day trader. Those markets move too quickly, too fast for me. I think there's too much risk. That's just my, again, my own personal opinion. What I prefer to do is swing trade because I'm also not a buy and holder. I'm not someone that buys for 20 years and then, you know, every day or every month or every year, whatever dollar costs average into the market. I like to look for trends. I'm a firm believer in the principle that whenever you have a trend in the market, whether the trend is up or whether the trend is down, that at least 70% of stocks are are going to follow that trend. That's incidentally something I learned from Bill O'Neill. The publisher of Investors Business Daily, and those were the books that I gave away earlier today. If you read read those books, you'll you'll see some of his theories in there. So one thing I learned quite a while ago from Bill, and I've I applied it before. I learned it from him, but it's worked out even better since I was able to synthesize it because I didn't I didn't think of it as succinctly as he puts it in his books. But the fact is, if there's a trend, whether it's up or down, then more than a majority of the stocks have to be following that trend. Otherwise, there couldn't be a trend. The reason that's important is you have to remember when it comes to trading in the stock market there are no odds when you go to a casino and you play blackjack or you play roulette or you throw the dice there are specific odds you'll know that if you're going to you know, pull a card out of a deck, you're going to be able to calculate the odds of what it would be to draw an ace. Or if you're going to roll dice and you're going to roll a seven, you can calculate exactly what the odds are of any given roll of the dice. Well, that's not the case with the stock market because we're not dealing with odds or probabilities. We're dealing with uncertainty. There's uncertainty every day because on this planet, there are over 7 billion people and all of their individual actions culminate into what happens in the stock market. I mean, things may be going along really great one day. You have this theory of what's going on. You've drawn out all these charts and you've come up with all these probabilities. And then the next day, 19 people hijack jets and they, you know, they fly them into the Pentagon and the World Trade Center. You see, you just you just don't know what's going to happen. And that's an extreme example, but, but that's an example of every day something going it goes on. The, Saudi Arabia makes a decision about what they're going to do with oil. Well, that affects the oil prices. The Federal Reserve Chairman, they decide what they're going to do with interest rates in the United States. Well, that affects the markets. Over in Russia, Putin decides to send troops into uh, Crimea on the eastern side of the Ukraine. Well, that affects the markets. So you can't factor those things into the stock market. Those are just examples of things that are occurring on an everyday basis. And so there are no odds in the stock market. Any given stock or any given index, it's going to go up, it's going to go down, or it's going to stay the same. So you know every day there are going to be three outcomes, but you have no idea what the probability of those outcomes are. That's why we look for trends. That's why we study balance sheets on stocks. That's why we look for value. That's why we look for uh, higher performing growth stocks. That's That's why we look at charts and we try and do these things with trend lines. We do these things not to come up with a probability, but to just help us get some type of a direction, to help us get a little bit of an edge. That's what's so important about following the trend. If you know that the trend is going up, you can be sure that the majority of stocks are going up. If you believe Bill O'Neill's research, you're going to believe that at least 70% of stocks are following that trend. So that's important because now instead of only having a 50% probability, you may have as much of a 70% or more probability that the stock you pick is going to go up if you're investing during an uptrend. Likewise, if you're shorting a stock, you would want to short it during a secular downtrend. That's when the whole market's moving down. So that's the importance of right now while I'm telling you, I'm not really trading much of much of stocks right now because there isn't a defined trend up, there isn't a defined trend down. It's just kind of going ping pong ball back and forth, back and forth. I also want to comment, and this is really important about the Simple moving average that I'm going to talk to you about today. I talk to you all the time about 50-day moving averages, 100-day moving averages. I get a lot of questions on them. You know, I talk about the 200-day moving average. And so that's why I want to do this episode today. But I also want to stress... The moving average is only one thing that I look at. Now, it's a powerful tool. It's a great way to do a snapshot to get a really good, quick idea of what's happening with the market. It's an easy way to explain things and sum things up. That's why I use it in this podcast. So, you know, when I say, hey, the market today is trading uh, and bouncing off of its 50-day moving average, that's a good sign. I can say that in, what, three seconds it took me to say that. Now there may be you know a hundred other reasons that it's that it's a good looking market, but I don't have time to talk about those other ninety-nine things. So I can simply say, hey, the market's bouncing off its fifty-day moving average, that's a positive sign. Boom. It's that quick. So it's a snapshot, it's a short, it's a shortcut. But it definitely is something powerful, and it's powerful because of its simplicity. Now, again, it's not the only thing I use. It's not the only moving average I use. It's not the only indicator I use. I, I want to stress to you, though, if you're just getting started with investing, or if you're not familiar with moving averages, then most likely you do want to start with the moving average, though, even though there are many other things to to work on. Remember, as an investor, you don't have to know everything that's going on. You know, you use electricity. You go into your room and you flick the light switch and the lights come on. You don't have to be Thomas Edison to be able to work the light switch, but you should have some general knowledge about how electricity works. For example, if there were some bare wires on that switch, you know, you wouldn't reach out and touch them. You wouldn't stick your tongue against them. Right, that's just a basic knowledge of electricity that it can kill you. So with investing, you don't have to be Einstein. You don't have to be a nuclear physicist to be able to figure out different averages and different algorithms and things. But you should at least have a basic knowledge of what you're using to prevent yourself from having a catastrophic loss. And in most cases, it's really important to have a knowledge of what kind of uh, system or method you're using just so you don't get ripped off. Remember, everybody out there is trying to sell something from you. They're trying to reach into your wallet and take out your hard earned money. They're going to do that by selling you trading programs and offering advice and newsletters and all these kind of things. And I'm not saying that those things aren't good or those things may not make you money. I'm just saying that you should have at least enough of a basic foundation in investing and mathematics and how these different things work so that when you're buying something, you know that you're, you know, you're getting a bang for your buck, that you're getting a return for your money. Plenty of people are going to be happy to sell you snake oil, and it's not going to do anything to help build your wealth. It's only going to build their wealth. So that's what I want to stress about these moving averages. They're very simple. They're very effective. You should have a general idea how they work. If you remember, I've said many times in this podcast that I started trading 30 years ago. That's before we had desktop computers, or it wasn't before we had them, but they were very expensive at the time. If I wanted to use any type of computer, whether it was a dummy terminal or whether it was a a, a PC, I had to go to the computer lab at, at Penn State where I went to school. I mean, it wasn't like I had something at home that I could just use. I had to sign up for computer time. So what I'm trying to say is when I started trading stocks I wasn't using complex computing power to be able to calculate things that's how I stumbled on a simple moving average I would take the closing price from the Sunday newspaper so I was taking like a closing weekly price and I was averaging that out, and I was plotting that on on just regular old engineering uh, graph paper. Some of you have seen it, I'm sure. I think it's still around today. You don't you don't see much of it anymore. But I'd plot that out on engineering graph paper, and then I'd take a straight edge and I'd draw trend lines. I mean, that's how primitive and how basic it was, but you know what? That same method has served me well over the years, and again, although I do more complicated things, everything comes back to that simple method, and and that's not only with my trading programs, but I would say that that's with every algorithm, everything that's out there. One way or another, they're taking some type of an average of the price and the volume traded for that day, and they're putting that into some fancy algorithm, and it's spitting out a number. That's how they do high-frequency trading. That's how these uh, these robo-investors work. I mean, it's all based on some type of a mathematical formula that involves some type of a moving average. And so you can do that simply for yourself. Now, again, you're not going to be as complex as theirs, but I'm not sure that complexity is always the best thing, right? Simplicity is often more effective and more eloquent. And that's what we want to talk about with a simple moving average. Okay, I'm digressing a little bit. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about the S&P 500 again we're talking about it's trading in this zone it doesn't seem to be able to get much up above 2100 it doesn't seem to get much below 2100 the reason that i'm primarily in cash is that we are at all time record highs in the s&p 500 we've had a great bull run certainly since 2009 that's 6 years and then we've had a really significant bull run in 2013 and 2014 so those were 2 years of some really outstanding performance double digit performance That's unusual. The markets do not always produce at double digit growth rates. The markets do not always go up for six straight years in a row. In fact, I don't have my statistics in front of me right now, but I don't think the markets have ever gone up for six consecutive years in a row other than maybe one or two times. So that should be throwing some cautionary flags to you. Again, we don't know. We know that next year the market's either going to go up, it's going to go down, or it's going to stay the same. We don't know what it's going to do. We can't predict the exact probability, but we can look out throughout history, and we can say, well, hey, every couple of years, there's normally some type of a correction. We haven't had more than a 10% correction since 2011, so that's four years. That's very unusual. That's an anomaly. And so I get a little nervous when we're having these long-range uh Uh, you know, runs upward and we're within 2% of an all-time high and the market just seems to not really have any direction one way or the other. I look at that and, and, and I just say, you know, from a common sense basis, hey, it looks like there's more opportunity for a downtrend than there is for an uptrend. So that's a concern. I also look at the market and I look at the valuations. Right now, if you look at the forward earnings estimates, that's what's going to happen over the next 12 months, how much money the S&P 500 companies will make over the next 12 months, well, we're sitting right now at about a 17 times earnings. That means if you take the earnings of the S&P 500, all 500 companies, and they average them together over the next 12 months, The collectively, those companies, the companies that represent the S&P 500, where I'm talking to you about on a daily basis right now, those, those collection of stocks, that index is trading at 2,100. Oftentimes, I'll call it $2,100. That's not really true. It's 2,100 points because we're talking about an index. But those stocks that make up the S&P 500, index that are currently trading for around $2,100. They can't seem to get much above $2,100. They don't get much below $2,100. They're just vacillating back and forth in that range. Well, collectively, those companies over the next 12 months are going to report earnings of somewhere around $123, maybe $123.50. That's the collective earnings of those 500 companies well if you divide 2100 which is that range they're trading in by what they're gonna earn that $23 or 2350 you come up with about 17 times that's the valuation that's the price to earnings ratio the PE you hear people talk about you know what's the value of a stock well that's one indicator of the value of a stock you can do that for an index as well well that's at 17 again historically that's a very high number we're seeing earnings, although they're continuing to grow, they are decelerating, meaning that they're not growing as fast as they had been in the previous years. Now, that's happening. One reason, because overall, even though the economy is growing, okay, we're not disputing that the economy is not growing, we're just saying it's not growing as fast as it had coming out of the recession of 2008. Also, we know that the strong dollar has been hurting earnings of multinational companies. These are companies that sell their products overseas are their services overseas so it's companies that export things like uh, DuPont they recently announced this week their earnings were not good because they're not selling as many chemicals overseas because of the strong dollar and then also you see the same thing from companies for example like Yahoo they reported lousy earnings and this may not be 100% true with them because Yahoo just doesn't have a good business model but for example if Yahoo is deriving some of its income from overseas and for the most part uh, more than 50% of earnings on S&P 500 companies are coming from overseas well when you make that money in euros or yen or Australian dollars Since the U.S. dollar has appreciated so much over the last 12 months, whenever they repatriate that money, and even if they don't bring it into the country physically, they still have to calculate their earnings when they report to the SEC in U.S. dollars. So whenever they do that conversion rate, because the U.S. dollar is so much stronger, any money they're making over in these foreign markets, they're making at a lower profit margin. They're earning lower dollars this year than they made last year. So consequently, the earnings are either reduced or if they're not, if the earnings haven't gone negative, they've, they've at least not growing as much as they had been. Now we are specifically seeing negative earnings in the energy sector, some of those earnings down by as much as 50%. That's dragging the overall S&P 500 down by as much as uh, some people are estimating, uh, you know, 4% to uh, earnings growth has been taken off of the S&P 500 simply because of the decline in the price of petroleum. So companies like ExxonMobil, companies like Halliburton, they're not making as much money as they had in the past. That's hurting S&P earnings. Now you're probably saying, well, yeah, but consumers are, have more money to spend. They're buying more at fast food restaurants. They're spending more at Walmart, you know, because they're putting uh, less money into, to, to fill up their fuel tank. They can afford to spend more money at fast food restaurants and Walmart and places like that. That's true. If you remember, you know, listening to this podcast six months ago, those were some investments we made. But you know what? Those things have all topped out. The airlines, uh, the fast food, the the retailers, they got a nice bump back uh at the end of fourth quarter, uh fourth quarter of 2014. And the beginning part of first quarter of 2015, those stocks all performed very well, but they're not performing that great anymore. Remember, investors or traders in the stock market, they're always anticipating earnings. So back six, seven months ago, when gas prices were falling, that's when traders and investors were going in, buying in these airline stocks and these trucking companies and transportation companies and uh, retailers, fast food restaurants. They were doing that in anticipation of what's happening now because now those companies are reporting better earnings, but it's already been priced in their, into their stock because the price of those stocks went up five and six and four months ago in anticipation of what's happening now. So that's why we get back to this point where this forward earnings are not looking that great. They're 17 times earnings because everything's already been priced into it. The other thing you have to remember is, who do you think makes a, a higher paycheck? Someone that works at a fast food restaurant or someone that works out on an oil rig? Well, obviously, people involved in oil production and exploration and refining, anybody related to the, to, uh, the energy sector is going to make a significantly more amount of money than a comparative job at a fast food restaurant. You know, whether you're the owner or manager of a series of restaurants and you're making several hundred thousand dollars or whether you're just a a entry-level employee in the fast food restaurant, your counterpart that would be over on the energy sector, again, whether they're just a starting employee or whether they're some high-level executive, they're going to be making a factor of two or three times what you're making easily. So the reason I bring that up is, is although, yes, maybe some fast food restaurants and some things like that are doing better, well, collectively, the energy sector is doing much worse, so the layoffs that they've had are going to have a bigger impact on the economy in terms of individual paychecks. Again, that's my opinion. You can look at the numbers. You can say, well, hey, it only represents 10 or 12% of the S&P 500. It's not that big of an impact on the overall economy. I think it is. I do believe that overall lower gas prices are better for the economy and for the stock market in the future. But in this transition period, this is the period that we're having the anomaly. Until we get adjusted and we have a more stable price for energy, you're going to see factors impacting the stock market. Right now, it's really not that good. The same thing with the strong U.S. dollar. I'm not opposed to a strong U.S. dollar. We only export something like uh, I don't know 12, 15 percent of our export uh, of our GDP is is based on exports anyways. So I'm not worried about the overall strong dollar as long as it remains stable. That's the important thing. The dollar can go higher, but at some point it just has to be stable. The markets, uh, business in general, they don't like instability. So when the dollar is going up 20, 25 percent over a period of 12, 12 months that's a big concern to the to the market it would also be a concern if the if it was going down because of the instability so these are all things that are currently affecting the S&P 500 and again I could bring up five or six other things that are affecting the S&P 500 but the bottom line if I just want a quick snapshot if I want to do a just a really quick you know gut check and say hey what's going on with the markets without having to consider all these other different factors I can always rely at least on a general basis I can always rely on a simple moving average to give me a general snapshot of the health of the market now again it's not going to tell me you know what's going to happen when 19 hijackers gonna go hijack some planes and crash them into the World Trade Center it's not going to factor that in for me what it helps me to evaluate is the, is the general trend moving up or is the general trend moving down or is it staying just moving sideways because remember seventy percent of the stocks are going to follow the general trend and so if I can determine that there's a trend Up or a trend down, then I can determine how to make money by either buying long on the stocks that are going up or uh, shorting the stocks that are going down. That's why it's important to look at a simple moving average when it relates as it relates to uh, an index like the S&P 500 but it also helps you understand the performance of an individual stock you can do the same things that I'm about to talk to on Apple stock for example you can look at it and say hey Apple is is you know say performing better than it has been over the last 10 days over the last 50 days over the last 100 or 200 days the reason that's important and this is a key part about investing and it's whether you're buying stocks or buying real estate or artwork or, or collectibles or whatever you own. You always want to own something that's appreciating, not something that's depreciating. Well, a simple way to determine whether what you own is appreciating or depreciating is to ask yourself, is it worth more today than it was a week ago? Is it worth more today than it was, you know, seven months ago? Well, how do you do that? You can do that with a simple moving average. The moving average tells you the average price over a given period of time. If your current price today is above a moving average from five weeks ago, then you know that your uh, stock or your index or your uh, painting of uh, the Mona Lisa is worth more today than it was five weeks ago because it's above the moving average, right? Same thing with if you're using a 100-day moving average. If your current price today is more than the 100-day moving average, then you know that over the last 100 days... The price of whatever it is you own has appreciated. That's a good thing because you want to be owning appreciating assets, not depreciating assets. That's why when I say, hey, the market is below its 50 day moving average, that, you know, we're on thin ice. That's a red flag. That's a cautionary sign. You should be concerned. I say that and that's a snapshot way for me to say, Hey, if you own the S&P 500, you're owning a depreciating asset. How do I know that? Well, because the value today would be less than it was 50 days ago. 50 days is approximately two and a half months. That two and a half months is important because every three months, Wall Street reports earnings. And so, as you go into earnings, there may be concern that earnings are either going to go up or down. Or as you come out of the earnings season, when they've announced them, you know whether earnings went up or down. That's where we're at right now. We're we're in the period. We're in the second quarter, but we're in the period when they're announcing earnings from the first quarter, and the earnings aren't as as good as they were a year ago. Now, you will hear them say, "Well, they beat earnings expectations." That's only because expectations have been reduced. So you have to be cautious of that. You have to look at that valuation that I talked about. The S&P 500 is currently at about a 17 times earnings. That's historically high. And you combine that with the same fact that the S&P, it keeps you know, bouncing and, and running very close to its 50-day moving average. Well, you're saying, hey, the S&P 500 is not appreciating as much as it had been in the past. How do I know that? Because I can plot out a six-month or a 12-month chart of the S&P 500 with its 50-day moving average, and I can look at all the times that that price was above its 50-day moving average. And then I can look at the last six weeks where, you know, four or five times it's crossed back and forth above its 50-day moving average. It's gone up and then it's gone down, broken below the 50-day moving average, and then above the 50-day moving average, and then below the 50-day moving average. And that's over a period of, say, six weeks when, you know, the previous year it had only done that, you know, let's say a dozen times, and it's already done it five times, maybe six times in the last six weeks. Well, that's concerning. And again, you're saying, "Well, I'm not appreciating." Again, when you draw that chart, you draw it. It doesn't matter whether you're using a 10-day moving average, a 50-day, a 100 100- or a 200-day moving average. When you draw those out, you can see, hey, the general slope of that line is moving up or it's moving down. That's going to again tell you whether you have an appreciating or a depreciating asset. Right now, I'm looking at a chart of the S&P 500 with the, a simple 10-day moving average, a simple 50-day moving average, and a simple two. 200-day moving average. All of those averages in general are pointing in an upward direction. So that shows that, hey, we are in a bull market. The market is rallying. Remember I said the market's basically been moving up for the last six years. Since 2009, it's been basically in an upward direction. Since 2013, it's been you know, moving at a very high pace. But that's starting to slow down. I can know that by looking at these averages, by by the slope of those lines and about how often they converge together and the distance between them. So again, that's concerning to me, though, that we're slowing down. That's why I've moved to cash, because remember, I'm not someone that buys and holds stocks. I'm someone that says, well, hey, if it looks like we're going into maybe a slower period, if it looks like we're going into a decline, I'm going to sell my stocks. I'm going to move into cash. I'm going to ride out the storm, and then I'm going to buy back into the market. Hopefully, I'm going to buy back into the market at a lower price after it's come off of its low and it's moving back up. How will I determine that? Well, one way I'll determine that is by looking at moving averages. Is the 10-day average above the 50-day moving average or is it below the 50-day moving average? Those are all things I would consider. I'm not going to talk in detail about those that, those type things in this episode. I do, though, want to explain to you how to draw out your own simple moving average. Now, I personally use my own software to do it. I don't rely on... On what's on the internet, although I I will you know go to someplace like Investors Business Daily or our Yahoo Finance to get a quick snapshot. Oftentimes I'll do that on the show. If I want to talk to you about something, I'll just I'll just go over to Investors Business Daily. The, their website is investors.com. If you plug in your stock ticker symbol there, or if you click on their little icons for the S&P 500, or their Nasdaq, or any of those type of things, uh, they will they will bring up a chart. And you don't want to look at the small chart. You want to click it. It'll say in large the chart you want to enlarge it and bring up the large chart and it gives you a couple options there you can look at a daily chart a weekly chart or an intraday chart for our purposes I want to talk about the daily chart If you click on that and bring up the daily chart, it will show you the current price trend for whatever you're looking at. It also draws out the 50-day moving average for you, and it draws out the 200-day moving average. Those are very important. Like I said, the 50-day moving average, that's 50 trading sessions. That works out to about two and a half months since earnings come out every three months. That's why that's so important. That's why that's so critical. That gives you a little bit of a short-term warning. Anything shorter, you know, people ask me, should I be looking? at a 100-day moving average or 10-day or whatever. Well, anything shorter than a 50-day moving average is going to give you fast results and it's going to tell you what's happening in the more near term, okay? So a 10-day moving average is going to give you a faster response than a 50-day moving average. A 25-day moving average is going to give you a slower response than a 10-day moving average, but faster than a 50-day moving average. You understand that? And then a 100-day or a 200-day moving average, well, that's going to be more long-term. That's going to smooth things out. That's going to give you, again, an early warning, but it's only going to be an early warning in terms of 6 months or 12 months. So something like a 100 day moving average or 200 day moving average, you use that to prevent a catastrophic loss. If the, st- if your stock price or the index you're looking at is trading at or below its, its 100 day moving average or its 200 day moving average, that's telling you that it's getting awful close to depreciating over the last 12 months or the last six months, right? And again, you don't want to own depreciating assets, particularly over the long term. So if you're, stock price drops below its 100-day moving average or below its 200-day moving average, it's telling you that your assets are depreciating over the long term. That's kind of like the last resort. That's the final flag to tell you, hey, maybe it's a good idea to sell that stock to prevent a catastrophic loss from occurring. Again, that's why I don't buy and hold, because you can draw out a simple 100- or 200-day moving average and see that whenever your index or your stock price crashes below that, and particularly when it goes significantly below that, if you would sell at that point, you would save yourself a lot of misery and heartache. Um, I have a chart over investablewealth.com. My recent blog over there was about that very subject. It's under observations and commentary. That's where I blog. I wrote a blog post or an article called Swing Trading in One Chart. That's where I show an example of using a 100-day moving average. Incidentally, there's a little chart on there at the bottom of the, of the blog. If you click on that chart, it'll enlarge it for you and you'll be able to see it better. So don't don't think you just have to look at the little chart. It will blow up for you. But that is a 100-day moving average. I picked that because, again, that's going to show you what's happening with the S&P 500 relative to what's been happening over the last 100 days. Now, some people ask me, you know, should you use a 200? Should you use a uh, 150? Should you use 75? Five days I don't know you know I'm just showing you a simple example I picked a 100 day moving average because that represents about a five month period five six month period, right, sometimes if you have the time to do it, you know, and I do do this for specific things that I look at when when uh when something's moving faster, when there's a lot of volatility, you want to use a a quicker or a faster moving average, so you wouldn't use a one hundred day moving average on a very volatile market, you'd use more like maybe a fifty or a twenty five or a ten day. Likewise, if you have a a very stable market, if you're if you're looking at a blue chip stock that hardly varies very much, well, then maybe yeah, it's more appropriate to use a 75 day or a 100 day or a 200 day. The industry averages, though, the industry standards are pretty much 10 day moving average, 50 day moving average, 200 day moving average. In my blog post, Swing Trading in One Chart, I used the 100-day because I thought that was a good way to smooth out the market and to show you the dot-com bubble and the housing bubble and how had you sold whenever the S&P index broke below that 100-day moving average, which on the chart that I drew, it's in red. You can see that if you would have sold and you didn't have just one opportunity to do it, you could have, you could have waited several times, several days or weeks to sell, but had you sold in the early stages of the S&P 500 when it was first coming below its 100-day moving average, well you would have missed those catastrophic losses that occurred in the dot-com bubble and in the housing bubble. Go over and look at that article, read it, take a look at the chart. I try to put in there the reasons and the rationale of why I swing trade. A lot of it has to do with these moving averages, so it's relevant to what I'm talking about in today's episode. Well, we've had a lot to talk about today. Uh, the episode is approaching 40 minutes. I generally like to keep these shows under 30 minutes. I think that makes uh, the listening and the digestion of the, the thoughts and comments easier for you to ponder and consider when, when they're a little bit shorter. So we still have a lot more to talk about. I definitely want to explain to you uh, a way that you can, for yourself, go and chart out your own moving averages. But that's going to take probably another 30 minutes. So I'm going to end today's podcast here. We'll come back in the next episode, and I'll finish up with the explanation of how you can go to a couple different websites, draw your own charts. Many of you have asked about that. I think it's important that you know how to do it. So we'll come back on the next episode. We'll review that topic. Until then, if you have any comments or questions for me, you can reach me at the website, WealthSetting.com. As always, this is John Pugliano, wishing you the very best of returns.